Thanks for joining me, Pete Holtzman, for the Credentials Only Podcast, where you are introduced to people who work in sports. Today's guest is Nick Hessler, Digital Strategist and Social Media Community Manager at the NCAA. During our conversation, Nick shares some of what makes social content unique when representing a governing body. We don't have a team. We're uh, the voice of 352 Division One teams, and um, it, it's great. We always like to say we never have a loser. Our team always wins. Um, but at the same time, it, we're tasked with keeping the pulse on 352 Division One programs. For most leagues, each season is a blank slate. That is especially true in college sports with the turnover of athletes. For Nick and his team, they embrace that newness. We treat each of our accounts like one giant storybook each season. The start of the season is when workouts and conditioning starts, and the end of the book is crowning a national champion. Nick shares a lot of insights into the strategy piece of his job, including how important it is to look backwards to help plan the path forward. But we also spend a week to two weeks doing a very deep dive on some of the analytics and the metrics to see what worked and what didn't. Um, At the end of every season, we do um, what we like to call a kind of an effort analysis. We look at the effort that we put in for certain pieces of content versus how it returned. Nick also explains how that review covers far more than just metrics. We get out with them, the people who we had worked with the closest. um, We'll chat with the four teams and the SIDs and the coaches from the Final Four and say, hey, what did we do right? And we'll do that for the whole tournament, but we'll bring up the digital aspect. While you listen, check out credentialsonly.com for show notes that include more information on what we discussed in this episode. And please take a moment, leave a review wherever you are listening. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Nick Hessler, digital strategist and social media community manager at the NCAA on Credentials Only. Nick, thanks for joining me on Credentials Only. How many people apply for the NCAA postgraduate internship? Uh, the postgraduate internship historically has drawn over 3,000 to 3,500 applicants um, for 30 positions. Um, and it's, it's something that the NCAA looks at as being the top 1% of the, the future of uh, college sports administrators. I imagine that it's a process then to land that. What did you have to go through? Oh, absolutely. Like everything else in college sports, it's, it's certainly a process. Um, so starts out, uh, you apply just like any other job. Um, hop on the phone with a few folks, uh, go through a 30-minute phone interview, um, and then get brought down to the NCAA national office in Indianapolis. Uh, spend a couple of days there. I think uh, total time for um, the interview days are about 36 hours. So you stay overnight. Um, it, they run you through a gamut, man. I mean, they put you through maybe 10 interviews uh, in, in that interview day. Um, you meet with probably, let's see, 15 to 20 people maybe um, throughout the interview process. And um, it's, it's great because you get to meet with people who aren't going to be directly working with you on a day-to-day basis. So you really get to ask some questions about the culture of the NCAA, um, some of the business of the NCAA, that type of stuff. Um, but then yeah, after that, uh, like any other job, you wait for a phone call. Uh, hopefully it's good news. And uh, yeah, it's, that's uh, the rest is history. Is this typically undergraduates who are getting this or there's some people who are coming out of a secondary degree program to, to get these interviews? It's, it's everybody. There's people straight from undergrad, um, like myself who, who took it a few years ago. Um, there's people who have their MBA. There's people who have their, their doctorate. There's people who are licensed lawyers, um, who have their JDs. There's any, anybody uh, who you can think of has probably gone through this program at some point or another. There's, there's certainly no, um, I guess, expectation that you're straight from undergrad or you've had a couple years of experience. What did you do in that role? 
So I directly oversaw um, the NCAA soccer and NCAA women's basketball accounts um, during my, my year internship uh, with the NCAA. And essentially what that uh, means is I oversaw all digital strategy. I crafted and executed the strategy, uh, social media and digital, um, working with our digital partners down at uh, Warner Media, uh, Turner Sports down in Atlanta, working with them closely on editorial um, conversations and decisions um, and ensuring that the voice of student athletes were accurately represented on the NCAA platforms uh, for, for both soccer and women's basketball. Internships can have a number of meanings depending on where you are and how big the operation is that you're joining. Overseeing that digital strategy seems like a pretty heady position to get when labeled an intern. Did you yeah. appreciate the opportunity or did you feel like it was pressure or combination thereof? I think it's, yeah, it's a combination of both and something our team prides ourselves on. Um, so I, I was the first person to go through that program. Um, so it was really a learning process. I was certainly the guinea pig for the first year. Um, we've since, uh, we're on our third intern now for the digital team. Um, so we've worked out some of the kinks, but we pride ourselves in not treating the, that person, that position like an intern. You're a full member, you get the exact same workload as everybody else does. You're expected to perform at the same level as everybody else. I think the only difference is uh, we don't look at you funny when you ask some of those, those questions, those early on questions. Um, it'd be a little bit different if I go rolling in um, today, going into three years on the job saying, now, should I crop images differently on Instagram than I do on Twitter? I might get some different looks, but not that. I think that's really the only difference is, is the ability to ask some questions. I can certainly say I made my fair share of mistakes that first year. I certainly made mistakes that uh, I don't want to say we're, we're costly in the eyes of the NCAA, but we're costly in, in the eyes of the account. Some of the things that I might have said or have done um, and not realized really the, the implications um, that might have been uh, associated with that. So with that being said, we allow the person in that position to really own it, really make mistakes, um, and we don't hold it against them. If you make a mistake, it's a learning opportunity. It's not, it's not a mistake. You said you're still there. What is your role today? Yeah, so digital strategy um, and, and social media community manager. So um, still oversee women's basketball. Um, I dropped off soccer um, and picked up baseball. So now I oversee women's basketball and baseball, um, as well as overseeing digital product. Um, the NCAA has five championship-focused mobile apps, which we're actually transitioning now into more of a full tournament app um, for volleyball, for baseball, softball, um, for women's basketball, and for wrestling. Um, we have, have mobile apps for um, and oversee all of those. So from ideation to creation to execution um, to analytics and reporting, oversee all of that. There's a lot that goes into social media as a business and to the content creation. And I think one of the things that I love about your role, though, is that the word strategy is baked in. There's no question. There's no ambiguity. Strategy is part of it. How do you view strategy as being part of what you do? It's, I mean, it's, it's almost the entire role in some form or fashion. Um, you know, talking about mobile apps, the whole creation process is, is part of a larger strategy. How do we want to frame this app experience? Is it something for the fan who's on site? Is it something for the fan who might be watching at home? Is it a second screen experience? Is it a second screen experience for people at home or a second screen experience compared to something if you're in the arena, maybe it's more in-depth stats than what you can find on the video board. So it, it's truly baked into everything that we do. It builds into whether it's an NCA strategy as an organization, a championships focused strategy or the digital team as a whole. Every part of my job uh, is touched by some sort of um, strategy component for sure. And that kind of has to probably weave into the fabric of a season. And so taking a, a women's basketball or a baseball, I'd love to just kind of walk through 
the year. And, sure. you know, the teams first get together on campus and start practicing. It kind of is a fresh start for those teams, but also for you guys and your digital strategy for that particular year. And I'll start with that. As you plot out your years, are you going by seasons, by semesters, by years? How do you start to even look at what to work with? Yeah, so as you know from your past working in college sports, the summer is kind of a slow downtime. So we use those, those two to three months to really uh, collaborate as a team, reset, um, explore new options and, and um, new strategy concepts. And we pull together a, a full digital team strategy. What does our team want to accomplish throughout the next year? So whether that's we want to increase engagement or new fans, or we want to um, get more student athlete faces on the feeds. Um, anything like that is, is really what we grind to for two to three months. Have some really tough conversations about some things that maybe we put way too many resources into for the last year, or maybe we didn't put enough resources into something that we are seeing returns to. So building off of that strategy that we create as a digital team, we each take that and make it our own for our um, respective sports. It, the, the timeline's a little bit tricky because of uh, the different seasons. So fall sports, actually right now, we're in the middle of fall sport planning, um, and those strategies are being finalized. Student-athletes are getting back to campus, practices are starting, workouts are starting, and that's when our, our work really starts to pick up. Um, we're the voice of the student-athletes uh, for those respective sports, so for the fall, that starts now. Um, what's going on for soccer, uh, for example? So our soccer feeds now are, are – uh, getting ready to gear towards the practice, getting back on the field, getting back on the pitch, the, the warm-ups, um, and, and that type of um, content. As you move through the rest of the season, though, um, it's, it's kind of in an interesting spot um, we are at the NCAA because we don't have a team. We're uh, the voice of 352 Division One teams, and um, it, it's great. We always like to say we never have a loser, or our team always wins. Um, but at the same time, it, we're tasked with keeping the pulse on 352 Division One programs. So whether it's uh, the number one South Carolina Gamecocks, or who might be who who are ranked up at the top, or maybe it's the number 200 team um, that we have to keep a pulse on. So it's an interesting um, mix of of like how to watch for content and making sure that you're not just focusing on those top 25 teams. So we focus on those through the regular season and then getting to the championship. And, and, and actually I want to, sorry, I'm going to stop you there because you talk about that and I want to get in the weeds on that because for on sure. any given night, you could have 120, 150 games going on, Absolutely. Uh, especially, you know, a, a fall Friday, probably everybody's playing soccer. How do you keep Absolutely. up? How do you know that there's a hat trick that someone has scored in Amherst, Massachusetts or, someone, you know, have an incredible PK save out in California. How do you keep up? What's the methodology you guys do in the central hub of the NCA to know what's happening at all those institutions? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so the, we're lucky that we've done this. Our, our team's been established for eight years, um, going back to our director who fir first started the team. Um, so building the team between him and, and then, of course, as the team began to grow, there's certainly been moments that were missed and certainly been moments that um, we look back on and saying, oh, how did we miss that? And we find out about it two or three days later. Luckily, now our resources have grown. We figured it out. We figured out how to do that. And we uh, have a bunch of tools that we use. Uh, we use CrowdTangle to track on overperforming real-time content. We use Open Doors to track on overperforming real-time content um, and compare those two, see what's going on, see what's trending well in their respective sports. So we'll essentially create a compile a list of the 350 Division One or 352 Division One um, uh, universities for those soccer accounts and see what's overperforming. 
Um, and the nice thing about that is it's compared to overperforming against its own account. So if, um, let's say UMass Amherst has a crazy hat trick that gets 15 engagements, for them that could be 500% overperforming. But for South Carolina, a, a generic, hey, we're at halftime, that could get 200 retweets. And for them, that's maybe minus 20%. So it, it compares uh, the, the analytics back to its own account. So that helps us quite a bit. Um, but we also have a Slack group uh, with, uh, I'd say probably 60 to 70% of the division one universities are represented in that Slack group. We have different channels set up um, for all the different sports that we, that we have, um, as well as just an open community line of communication to the NCA as a whole. Um, so we use that on game nights quite a bit um, to say, Hey, if you have any uh, content that, that you think is worth, uh, showing to the national audience, pass it along. We'll monitor that slack and, and elevate those moments as they, as they, uh, they happen. And certainly now things have changed so much. Everybody, it seems is on TV. You're not getting some grainy Zapruder film type video that a parent is taking of the game from one camera angle, but it, it feels like everything's on TV. That has to be a game changer. Certainly. Yeah. It, the, you know, it's interesting. It's a game changer to watch, um, but not so much a game changer to post about uh, highlights. So the NCAA is in an interesting spot as well as we have rights for postseason, but we don't have any rights for regular season. Um, so uh, we'll collaborate with the schools. We'll work with the schools and say, hey, we saw you just had a hat trick. Is there any chance you have all three of those goals that we can compile and, and push those out? Um, but the majority of the content that we push out is originated from those school platforms. We'll do a pick dot Twitter, which is essentially just a method to embed a tweet inside of a tweet. Um, we'll uh, just a classic retweet or a quote retweet um, or uh, repost on Facebook or, or um, Instagram. But the majority of that content comes straight from the schools. We don't send people around to sites um, typically unless it's an, an incredible matchup um, like for women's basketball. Uh, Tennessee versus UConn, for example, is historically one of the biggest basketball matchups in, in the country, men's or women's basketball. So we'll have people on site for that. But 99.9% .9 of the games um, for any sport, we don't have any representation at. So we really work closely with those SIDs on the ground to um, uh, get that content elevated to our platforms. So you have all these games going on, and it, it, it kind of tells itself. I mean, it's, you can think of a season as a lifetime, but I think it's more of a story arc. You're, you're kind of following that season as it progresses towards that crescendo of that postseason. How do you guys maximize that as people start to get close to winning a conference or clinching a bid? That has to help make content seem pretty easy, but you still have to have the assets in place, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, 100%. So um, you're exactly right. I'll, I'll talk for a second. We treat each of our accounts like one giant storybook each season. Um, the start of the season is when workouts and conditioning starts. And the end of the book um, is crowning a national champion. And that's that's truly how we look at it. There's no uh, massive emphasis on, on one certain thing. Um, we don't, obviously, you know, in postseason, we place a little bit more emphasis on that, but we're not placing uh, much more emphasis on, on um, any specific moment in the regular season or in the postseason. It's, it's all part of the story of the 20, for this example, for the 2020, 2021 season, it's all part of the story. And that's truly how we treat it. Um, you're right. It's, it's interesting as we move towards the postseason, um, content does get a bit easier because we're narrowed down. Our focus then shifts from the 352 uh, teams down to the 64 teams uh, in the bracket. And 
a week or two before that, the 75 to 80 teams in contention for the bracket. Um, so it, it makes our job a little bit easier because it's more narrow. Um, it's easier to focus our attention, certainly, and our resources on tracking on those schools. Um, but you're right, we certainly have to have those, those assets available too. Um, so again, working closely with the SIDs saying, hey, you guys are on the bubble, We'd, like you could get in. Uh, is there a chance we could get some studio shots of one of your student athletes? And so we can prepare some graphics or congrats, you just clinched the Big East title, you're, you're dancing, it's happening. Can we get some uh, studio shots that we can make a graphic for you guys to come into? And a lot of that honestly is prep work. We'll reach out a month or two months before the postseason is set to start. That way we're not giving any speculation on what could or couldn't happen. We're preparing for every possible situation, every possible scenario. And as you know, from working in any sport, period, it could change at the snap of a finger and the underdog could completely win. So then you do get into that postseason and, and everything is more focused, like you said. That allows you guys to then get out there probably to more of the venues. When you're in a, a tournament situation, how much do you get to do that in-person coverage? Our team, um, it, we set up a um, kind of like a, a student um, organized content creation team, if you will. So we'll partner with the universities who are hosting. Um, some sports, the, the prelim rounds are already identified. Some sports they're not. Um, so depending on how that's set up, depends on the timeline of, of when we engage with these students and, and these um, university employees. But we'll rely on them heavily um, and, and uh, kind of as a, as a partnership. Um, it's all partnership based with those students. Um, we'll work with them if they have any class requirements that we can help them fulfill. Um, sometimes we treat it like an internship for some folks um, and allow them to create content and post it to our feeds. Um, so we'll have on, let's say, the first round of basketball with 64 teams and 32, um, 32 games happening at one time and what I guess 16 different sites. We'll have two people at each site. We'll have 32 folks covering games for us remote. And then we'll have a team of four or five um, back in Indianapolis. So uh, uh, the first weekend of basketball, we'll have a 40-person uh, social staff working for us. Um, obviously not the same for all sports. Basketball is a little bit of a different, be uh, different beast than soccer or volleyball, but it, it's all the same. Um, the number might go down to 30 or, or 25, but still massive amounts of people involved um, helping create content for the highest stage for these college athletes. And then when you do get to that final four and in the championship game in particular, how big is that squad? Yeah. So the final site, uh, we take a massive team um, uh, down to the final site with us. Uh, it obviously depends a bit on the sport and the media coverage that each championship receives. So the, the larger the media presence, we'll typically take a larger team to compete with that and, and make sure that our content compares to what the broadcast is doing. Um, but we'll use the example of a, a women's final four. Um, you'll have myself, who is the, the overall strategy lead. You'll typically have a secondary. Um, and our team just likes to think of it as if anything were to happen. Um, we don't like to go down doomsday scenarios, but let's say something happens, you have to be rushed off to the hospital or you have to just get out because there's a family emergency, something like that. We won't miss a step. Somebody, the, the strategy lead can step out and somebody else can step in and there's zero laps of, of content. Um, so we always have a secondary with us. Um, and then there's typically a third person, um, most of the time who's remote, um, some of the time who's on site with us, depending on the championship, who's just there to kind of be the, the overall utility. Um, if you need somebody to go track down an extra credential or track down another media vest or uh, run over to the camera shop to pick up some extra SD cards or something like that, just kind of the utility um, who is on NCA staff um, who can um, uh, get the get the random uh, uh, requirements or, or random tasks done. 
outside of that, we'll have anywhere from a seven to 10 person student um, organized uh, video creation team. Uh, whether it's video, photos, Instagram stories, graphic design, um, it, we have all aspects covered. Um, and I'd say 95% of the time, they're all students. Um, we might bring in somebody who had just recently graduated, but the majority of the time it's students um, and not just from the host city. We'll bring in people from California to, uh, to the Tampa um, site for the Final Four, bring somebody in from New York. So it's really giving students all across the country an opportunity to work with us at the highest stage. You did mention the media component and at a place like Tampa for the women's final four, you've got ESPN there and they're obviously heavily invested in the entire tournament, but in particular paying off that championship weekend. How much do you get to collaborate with them both in terms of their production, but also on their social side? ESPN is a great partner of the NCAA and we work very closely with them throughout the year. So it's not just an activation that we have at the final four. It's an activation that uh, we start talking about months beforehand. Um, we'll be in creative conversations with them for the marketing materials and the promotional materials, whether that's uh, television spots, digital advertisements, whatever that might be, we'll be in conversations with them. Um, and then typically we'll uh, coordinate the release of those spots and we'll run it on social on our platforms, just as they're starting to run on linear television. Um, and that's something that um, has been a tremendous value to us. Obviously, partnering with ESPN um, has its benefits to itself, um, but being able to work with them and, and collaborate with some of the best in the industry has been um, an awesome opportunity for us. The season ends, you're in Tampa, you just go right to the beach and hang out for a couple of weeks, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's uh, after the championship ends, it's uh, depending on what season it is, a lot of us roll right into another championship. Um, for the women's final four last year down in Tampa, um, wrapped up the final four, 12 hours later, I was on a plane headed to Buffalo, New York for the Frozen Four. So for a lot of us, we're a, a quick turn to another championship. Um, I, I guess for fall, it's a little bit different because we'll roll into a holiday break. And then for spring, obviously, once those championships are done, we roll into uh, some of the summer months. But yeah, most of the time it's a quick turn and, and we'll get right back, uh, back, nose back down to the ground and, and uh, starting to crank on some content again. So there are a couple different facets then of what comes next. And we've talked about the story arc through the season. Is it a point of emphasis to then keep the story going even through that summer month when you know the season isn't happening, but there's still an audience? It's a different type of keeping the story alive. Instead of the, the training and the practicing that's happening, since none of that's really happening after the season ends, it's the coaching changes. Um, it's the, the rules and um, uh, the competition changes that some of our committees might come up with. It's really just, uh, it, it's a different type of story. So it's, um, yeah, it's keeping the story alive, certainly, um, but uh, certainly not how we uh, have been covering the story for the, the months prior. What's the process you go through before you get into that build out the strategy for the upcoming season to review, to look back, and obviously there's metrics you can look at, but how do you assess what you have just completed? Yeah, we do a couple things. So first we talk to membership. We get out with them, the people who we had worked with the closest. Um, we'll chat with the four teams and the SIDs and the coaches from the final four and say, hey, what did we do right? And we'll do that for the whole tournament, but we'll bring up the digital aspect. And we'll say, you came to our, our digital um, uh, media day shoot. Um, we asked you some questions or we asked you to read a script. Was any of that overbearing? Was any of that... Um, too much or too aggressive. We had the trophy in the room. Um, it's different because for women's basketball, some teams certainly don't want that trophy in the room. 
um, because it's, it's a superstition of theirs. But some teams are like, we'd love to hold the trophy. We want to picture ourselves holding that trophy. So that's great. Um, so we get some of that feedback and, and we learn what we can do better. But we also spend a week to two weeks doing a very deep dive on some of the analytics and the metrics to see what worked and what didn't. Um, at the end of every season, we do um, what we like to call a kind of an effort analysis. We look at the effort that we put in for certain pieces of content versus how it returned. So I'll take, for example, the top plays of the week. We'll say, okay, well, it takes us five minutes to send out an email to say, submit your top plays. It takes us an hour to sort through the top plays and figure out the top five. And let's say it takes us an hour to edit those together and, and publish them. So all in all, we're looking at about two hours. Okay, well, how did that perform for us? Did that perform better or worse than some of the content that might've taken us five minutes or 30 minutes? Some of the content, obviously, we just have to do, right? Like rankings, rankings will never go away. So no matter the effort level there, we're always going to do rankings. But um, some of the things that we look at is just that, is, is our effort level too high in some areas? And, and how can we adapt to um, put more effort into the things that are engaging and our fans enjoy to see more? Do you value growth in terms of followers and engagement the same or are those treated differently? I think we look at those, uh, we certainly look at both, but I think we value engagement um, quite a bit higher. Um, to us, we're already an established voice. We have an established uh, platform. Everybody knows NCA baseball is the official account for college baseball. Um, so for us, follower growth necessarily isn't a main KPI, but it's certainly something we track on. If we start losing followers drastically, I think it would get bumped up a little bit, but a steady growth and, and what it's been doing over the last couple of years, we just try to maintain that. Engagement to us is certainly much higher and something that we try to obviously keep growing, keep getting better, give the fans what they want um, and, and keep serving up fresh and engaging content that match the wants of the audience. We talked a little bit about the arc of the season and the stories. Do you guys do regular storyline meetings? Is there uh, an editorial meeting for the week? Is it daily? How do you approach getting everybody on the team to be on the same page? So our whole editorial staff is uh, in Atlanta with Warner Media and Turner Sports. So we'll have regular talks with them. Um, typically, they'll have somebody who's dedicated to um, like the priority lead or the, the primary lead, I guess, uh, for one of the sports. So this, the account lead from our side will be in very close contact with the folks down at Turner who are leading those specific sports. Um, for an example, I'll talk to the sport lead for women's basketball and baseball multiple times a day, most of the time, to just check in and say, hey, there was a massive record that got broke last uh, last night. I haven't seen something come through. Is that on the pipeline? Or maybe that night I'll hit them up and say, hey, this record just got broke. If we could have something in the morning, that would be awesome. Um, but it's also a partnership, just like any other relationship that the NCA has. So it's all, it's all partnership-based. If there's a priority that uh, Turner Sports is pushing. We'll support them and, and we'll elevate the content that um, is, is returning for them. So it's all it's all partnership based. But uh, from the NCA side, we don't really have storyline meetings. Um, we'll work with our editorial uh, counterparts and, and that's about as far as we go from the storyline perspective. And then how big are each of these respective teams, roughly the, the Warner team, the editorial team that you guys have, your digital team there at the NCA? How many people in this whole uh, stratosphere? Yeah, so the NCA, our digital team, we have eight people um, who are working um, on the, the 14 different accounts that we oversee um, for Division I uh, social media coverage. Um, at Turner, I'm not sure an exact number, um, but we have a Turner editorial team and a Turner multimedia team. Um, I know some of the, the folks down there, um, they'll be split a little bit between NCA editorial and maybe they'll do NBA on the side. Um, so. Um, 
some, some folks are split up like that, but um, if I had to put a number to it, maybe 15 or 20 people who are regularly working on um, NCA um, style content. Uh, Turner and, and Warner also run NCA.com. So they're the main source of content and, and managers for NCA.com. So the majority of their work is, is dedicated to that and driving traffic to NCA.com. Um, but again, working very closely with them, um, our, our team certainly supports them in that, that aspect. Beyond that, you have to have a number of assets at your disposal. You mentioned CrowdTangle earlier. What are some of the other tools that you use and not necessarily looking for you to endorse them, but how do they help you do your job? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, no endorsements, right? But uh, Open Doors and CrowdTangle we use uh, every day to, to track on overperforming content um, and to see what content is out there that we might have missed. Um, we also use, uh, for, for our creative needs, we're an Adobe shop, so we use Adobe for um, everything. Uh, our team, if somebody doesn't have Photoshop or Premiere open, um, it's probably not a game day. Um, we all live in, in Photoshop and Premiere pretty religiously. Um, outside of that, we, we use uh, just the native tools of the platform. So we'll use uh, Twitter Studio, uh, we'll use Facebook Creator Studio. Um, we'll use uh, Instagram Business Manager, Facebook Business Manager. Um, we'll use all of those, uh, those platform-based tools to help us better um, uh, organize and, and publish our content. You mentioned the open collaboration, the Slack channel to communicate to the schools. Is there a facet of this too where helping schools manage things and, and learn how they can really maximize their social platforms and have success? Absolutely. We, we use that, um, that Slack group really as an open um, forum for communication. And I'd say 50% of the time, it's other schools helping other schools. Somebody would come in and say, hey, we just had one of our recruits drop. We have all this content. Um, they're not sure where they're going. Like, what, what do we do with that? Uh, we're not going to talk about it, but can we re how can we repurpose something like this? We've never done a project where we need to pull something out and change it. Does anybody have experience in After Effects where they can help? Or, hey, we're dealing with uh, this type of, of coaching change. We've never had to deal with this. Does anybody have a press release where we can just take a look and, and maybe pick some, pick and pull some, uh, a couple of things out? Very collaborative, um, very helpful, and, and certainly focused on helping the membership. Um, I, I don't want to say understand their, their opportunities because I think they, they understand that, but it's just helping everybody in the community, including ourselves, be better at what we do. Basketball season starts in early November. And as you've said, you're probably coming off something that you've been involved with in the fall and that's going to run through until April. There's games nearly every night. You're spanning the entire United States. So you've got the time zones working here as well. And on a, on a weekend, there's probably some basketball being played somewhere for up to 14 hours a day. How do you keep yourself going through that season and not just get worn down, ground out? It's finding, to, to me, it's finding the storylines that excite me. Um, so I'll take, for example, women's basketball last year. Um, UCLA was the last undefeated team. Um, and one of their games where I, I believe they were playing Stanford, who was also top 10 at the time. Um, and I, if I want to remember right, both of those teams were undefeated. So one of them was, was going to, to go home and then there was going to be one um, left, of course. Um, the game started at 10 p.m. Pacific time. Um, so living in Indianapolis and being on Eastern time, uh, that's 1am. So I'm, I'm sitting around at 1am waiting for the game to finish up. And, uh, it, it's tough at some points, but it's also exciting to watch. It's exciting to know that the community cares about it. 
that the community wants to know about it uh, and you're, you're servicing that audience. Not to mention it was one of the highest uh, uh, talent oriented games that we've seen in women's basketball um, for I would say that, that week or two weeks. It was one of the marquee matchups. So it was an easy game to watch from that aspect as well. It was really uh, high level basketball being played. You talked about overseeing the digital strategy. As you look at the landscape of social media, it's always changing. And there's always some fresh, hot new toy uh, that's out there. How do you bring that new element into what you're already doing, especially when something can catch fire in the middle of a season? Yeah, our team is very open to being flexible and being nimble. Um, we'll never shy away from an idea. We'll always try it at least once or twice to see if it works. I, most of the time, um, we'll try something. We'll say, maybe we should, like, let's continue that, but not the exact same way that we did that. Let's workshop that a little bit for the new ideas that come out, um, especially we do that. And we'll do it across all of our platforms. For example, these last couple months, we've been talking about what receives the highest engagement in terms of uh, live video. Do premieres on Facebook, a scheduled premiere on Facebook, um, do those perform better than a scheduled live on Facebook? Or does just going live on Facebook do better? Um, and, and all of those are things that we look at and we try um, all the time to, to see what's the, the best method and best practice. Um, but we just embrace change. We, we embrace the flexibility, we em uh, embrace being nimble and, and we don't shy away from ideas. I'm curious to know, as you look across all the different sports, are they pretty consistent based on platforms? Or do you see that volleyball does really well on one platform compared to soccer, which is better on a different platform? Does it really vary sport to sport or is it generally the same across the board? I would say for the most part, it's it's pretty consistent across the board. But the thing that we find is that the content that works is not the same across the board. Um, so for um, hypothetically, we'll say volleyball could be uh, over returning for full game rebroadcast and maybe baseball doesn't like them at all and baseball doesn't watch them at all. And maybe baseball just wants to see a 25 minute compilation of home runs and maybe softball that doesn't work for softball. So it's just finding the content that works, finding the content that the audience enjoys and wants to see. Um, but I would say the engagement rate for those good pieces of content, if you will, um, it's, it's pretty consistent across the board for the, the amount of engagement that we, we receive on there. How important is it for you to have a relationship with the individual platforms, with people at Instagram, at Facebook, at Twitter, and how does that help you as an organization to maximize each of them? For us, it's extremely important. We work with our, our partners at each of the three platforms, or I guess two if you loop Facebook and Instagram in together. Uh, but we work with them very closely, especially as it gets close to tournament time. Um, and, and as you can imagine from March Madness um, working with them, I can uh, recall back to uh, this past April, or uh, past March rather, uh, when we were working with Instagram on a couple projects. We are on the phone with them two to three times a week just talking through it, trying to figure out what we can make work. Um, a lot of times Instagram and, and uh, Twitter and some other, uh, and, and Facebook for that fact, uh, will bring us other opportunities saying, hey, this is something that we'd love to try. March Madness is a great opportunity to try it. Would you be willing to try it for us? And, and for us, it's incredibly important um, and pre presents a lot of opportunities for us to try new things and get ahead of the curve on some of those. And then is there that dialogue back of, well, here is how this worked and there's kind of a postmortem on those things when you're trying something new for them? 
Absolutely. And a lot of the times it's changing in the moment. We'll be doing a new activation. They'll say, okay, our team just got back to us. This isn't working. We got to flip. We got to try something else. And for us, it's, it's super insightful to know the thinking that goes on behind the platform. How does their algorithm prioritize different types of content? The fact that photo might be uh, uh, in the algorithm might be displayed differently than, than video or than a text tweet or than a voice tweet now that Twitter is rolling out. How each of those are uh, aggregated and displayed in the feed, are uh, it's, it's super insightful for us to know as we begin to build out our strategies for the next year. But then again, it changes every, every month, it seems like. So we might base a strategy off of what we heard at the Final Four and then the College World Series, it's not the same at all. So it's always changing and, and we always have to be flexible to it. You guys are a massive organization with a, a ton of eyes on you, which helps get the Facebooks and Twitters of the world to take your call and, and do this collaboration. What advice would you give to people who are at smaller organizations who want to be on the cutting edge and want to be pressing forward as best they can, who may not have the opportunity to get into those conversations? What can they be doing to stay up with the trends and really get the most out of the platforms? Absolutely. First, I would just say follow the, the news feeds of each of those platforms. See what they're trying, see what they're rolling out. And a lot of the times they'll have a media contact down at the bottom of their, their press release. Of, uh, for example, Twitter might roll out saying, hey, in the coming weeks, we're going to be rolling out Twitter Voice, which is a new um, type of tweet that you can start. Reach out to the media contact and say, hey, we're this organization. We'd love to try uh, this new tool. Is there any chance we could get hooked up with your sport contact and see if we could be whitelisted to try this um, new product. Um, but also, I would just say, don't be afraid to try new things. The, from what we've seen, the platforms um, love seeing new types of content out there. Um, these last couple months, a lot of the teams and, and programs have relied heavily on looking back at past broadcasts, getting into their archives and just doing full game uh, replays. The platforms are like, this is great, but what's next? What's the next type of content that's going to that's gonna really move in the sports landscape? So I would just say, don't be afraid to try new things. If it flops, it flops, but you tried it. Maybe it's maybe you're gonna try it and everybody's gonna be doing it then and you were the first one there. I, yeah, so just uh, embrace change. Don't be afraid to try it. We talked about how long the season is, but then there's also part of the job that really is R&D and paying attention, looking for best practices throughout that whole social media space. How do you do that? How do you get to find the real gems out there, because there's so many teams and leagues and organizations and even individuals producing so much content. How do you cultivate it to really find the stuff that you think you can learn from? We look through um, the sport list. We'll build out sport lists, like all NFL teams, MLB teams, uh, MLS teams, and we'll just look through what those teams are doing. What are they doing that we're not doing? that we could be trying, or maybe we could be doing differently or, or be doing in a different way that we think might work better on our platforms. Um, so we just stay in tune as best as we can. Um, we certainly tune into all the big events, any national championship or Super Bowl or, or World Series equivalent, we're watching and we're seeing what the teams are doing online, we're seeing what the leagues are doing online, and we're seeing how our strategy compares to what they're doing. Are they tweeting more? Are they tweeting less? Are they engaging with fans more? Are they engaging less with fans? Are they live tweeting the game? Or are they just talking about the big moments? We look at all of those, we do a very deep dive, and we'll do a debrief with our team and say, okay, what did we like to see? What didn't we like to see? What can we be doing differently and how can we do it better than what they did? I want to change gears. You talked about involvement with apps and I, I hear this a lot from people to app or to not app. 
what is it that you see is the potential to having that app? Yeah, so for us, uh, we've positioned those five mobile apps to be a fan enhancement and uh, really relying on the full tournament experience and allowing fans to watch games, listen to games, if there's a radio broadcast, to get in-depth stats. We have a great partnership with Genius Sports, and we're starting to integrate more of those advanced stats saying, uh, for, for basketball, for example, uh, the team A shoots better from the left side of the court than they do on the right side of the court when they're, when they're on the left side of the, the, the arc. Or maybe from the middle of the court, they are shooting 75%, but when they're on their corners, they're only shooting 20%. Integrating some of those more advanced stats that you can't find anywhere else. You're not going to find them on the broadcast. You're not going to find them uh, on the radio uh, broadcast if you're listening. Uh, so it's giving a, a fan enhancement. It's allowing them to get a deeper experience into the game um, and, and be more involved um, for, for that game. I think for a lot of organizations, a key driver on the app is the fan experience in venue. How big of a priority is that for you guys? We're starting to make it a, a bigger priority, certainly. Um, we're partnering with some cool companies to do, do some things. We haven't publicly rolled it out yet. We are starting to. Um, and then, of course, COVID hit and, and changed our plans a little bit. So can't talk about which companies we might be working with, but starting to do some really cool fan enhancements and, and have plans to do so. Um, that really focuses on uh, increasing the fan involvement in the app, but creating a, a, a unified um, experience, if you will. Fans will be able to collaborate with each other and, and work with each other, essentially, for lack of a better terms, to create a much bigger moment um, than just the game when there's not the game happening on the court or on the field. We started talking about your process to get to the NCAA. You were very involved in this social space when you were a student. Where did you go and how did you build up such a level of experience during your undergraduate years? Yeah, worked with the, the athletic communications department at, at Xavier. So got my undergrad degree at Xavier, majored in marketing actually. So went the business route, got a degree in marketing, uh, but latched onto the athletic department right when I got there. Um, I had been a Xavier basketball fan my whole life, so I knew I needed to get in there somehow. Um, and, and luckily they took a chance on me, um, threw me in there, and I did a lot of video work for them. Um, led some video projects um, for the first couple of years. And then towards the end of it, I worked very closely with our, our strategy lead, uh, Brendan Bergen, who now actually transitioned over to the university side, um, but worked very closely with him to help craft some of the strategies for some of the big games, uh, Xavier UC or some of the March Madness runs uh, that the team had and, and working with him on some of the video assets, some of the photo assets, graphic assets and saying, hey, we, we might be able to change this a bit and really getting into the weeds of the strategy. And frankly, that's how I found out that I enjoyed the strategy aspect more than I enjoyed the content creation side. I, I like trying to solve problems and see how we can do things better. So for me, it was a, a huge opportunity to get some real hands-on experience um, that I don't think I would have been able to get at a larger school um, because of the resources available at Xavier compared to some of the larger schools. So yeah, Xavier was uh, certainly the, the entryway um, into the career. You know, it's funny too. I started out at Xavier before I even started, I declared an accounting major and uh, went for two years for accounting and was, uh, had my heart set. I was going to be an accountant for the rest of my life, still doing work for the athletic department. And then uh, had an awakening one day. I woke up and I said, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I need, I need to do something else. So transitioned into marketing, but um, yeah, no Xavier credit, a lot of credit to Xavier for where I am today. In what ways do you think having done this type of work at a university has influenced what you're able to do now that you're at the NCAA? 
I saw some of the restrictions and some of the constraints that universities had and being able to travel with the, the basketball team or soccer teams uh, around the country and see some of the other uh, standard operating procedures, if you will, um, for some of the departments. I really got to understand some of the hardships and some of the, the restraints that universities have that somebody at the NCA might not think that universities have just because they haven't been on campus. And that was what, a what do you mean by hardships? Can you explain a little bit what you like? What is it Absolutely. that gets in the way for them? So you'd look at, I'll use Xavier as an example. You'd look at Xavier um, and you'd think, okay, they're in the Big East. So they're a basketball uh, a conference. You'd think that they're a top 25 program consistently. So they've got to have a support staff behind them um, content-wise, not talking uh, team personnel, but content-wise, you'd expect them to have a pretty massive team behind them, elevating their, their voice, especially in this national landscape. And a couple of years ago, Xavier was a consistent top 10 team for almost two years. Uh, and so you think, oh, okay, well, they definitely have three to four people constantly working on men's basketball. And then you look at uh, some of the other programs, you compare it, at least in my mind, compared to the football programs. Okay, well, Clemson has 10 people working on their game days, put it down to basketball, cut it in half maybe, so Xavier has five people working. And then you get to Xavier and you look at it and you say, okay, wow. So this is like two people working on it. And then away games, half the time, nobody, nobody from the content side traveled with the basketball team. It's like, wow, you're a top five, top 10, top 25 team. And you're not traveling with anybody to a top 10 showdown. And the, to, to the, I, I think to an average person at the NCA um, who hasn't been on campus, uh, that might just, just be a little bit confusing. How can you have a top 10 matchup you're in a national spotlight. It's on national television. How can you not send somebody to cover that game to amplify your voice? And I think that that's a unique perspective that I was able to bring to the NCA is, hey, guys, we think that all these universities and these programs and these well-established universities have it all figured out. But there's some things that they're still struggling with. And for us, we pivoted a little bit to say, how can we help them? You know, if we're in Indianapolis and Xavier's playing Butler, let's have a meeting with Xavier beforehand and have a meeting with Butler to say, hey, guys, what can we be doing differently to help support you? And to, to us, that's been uh, something that's been uh, an, an incredible opportunity to network with schools around the country doing something like that. And I think at, at every level of athletics, there's going to be some differences, but probably more so in basketball just because of the how massive the massive programs are and also having the 352 teams. And I know a previous guest here on Credentials Only talked about working the NCAA tournament here in Jacksonville. And when the University of Kentucky rolled in, playing Abilene Christian, you know, and, and what UK probably had versus Abilene Christian, who you know, the SID was asking, so what do I do? Let alone having a team of people out there. So do you find you are able to get out there and, and be successful helping those schools, especially a school like that where – they really probably don't have a lot of resources to, to give. Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that we love doing during the tournament. Right when uh, you get selected in the tournament, our team sends out an email. We say, hey, we're here to help. Give us a call, shoot us a text any hour of the day, uh, and, and we're here to help. And I'd say maybe 50% of the, the schools in the field will hit us up and say, hey, we've never been to a tournament or we've never had to travel this far for the tournament. Can you tell us what we need to know? We've always been able to, to run back home to get something. Can you help us? Or we've never been to the NCAA tournament. What, like, what are the good teams that we can look at and say, okay, we should be doing what they're doing. Or what would you suggest we do? How can we position ourselves? And we love helping the members do that. We, we love helping um, solve some of those problems and, and help them understand 
um, some of the things that they already knew, it's, it's merely just um, helping them see it in a different light. They already know uh, that, that uh, they already know their programs. They already know um, what they need to do. It's just helping them look at it in a different way now that they're on a higher stage than, than previous. There is a lot of incredible content being produced out there and a lot of it by students too. What would be your advice though to students who are looking to get into this, looking to get into this field and make their mark? I, first, I mean, a shameless plug, hit up people at the NCAA. Um, it's pretty, I'd say it's pretty easy to find people on LinkedIn who work with the digital team. Um, hit them up, hit us up and say, hey, I'd love to work with your team. We're always down to have a phone call, always down to have a video call. And I'd say if, if we maintain pretty close uh, contact and, and you're a creator, um, we'll bring you out to a championship more times than not. That's where a lot of our relationships are made. Um, and we'll use people around the country. Uh, one of our, our creators that uh, we use for a lot of our championships is down out of Texas Tech, another one out of West Virginia. Um, we've used folks from um, New York, from California. I mean, we go all over the country trying to find folks and, and uh, we'll never hesitate, never shy away from uh, talking to folks and, and bringing them on the road with us. You have in your experience, not just some athletics, but you've been very involved in the Boy Scouts, yourself an Eagle Scout, but you've also worked with the Order of the Arrow and been involved in some of their events and their promotion and their social. What have you taken from that volunteer experience that has helped you with your professional life? Certainly the leadership aspect. Um, with the Boy Scouts and the OA, I've been able to lead teams and just recently as, of, uh, as, as big of uh, teams as 150 people. And that's something that, you know, we'll never have a 150 person social team um, from the NCA, but what we will have is a 40 person remote staff working for us for a, a championship. And the unique opportunity with the Boy Scouts is everything's remote. We don't meet up down in, you know, Dallas every once a week to have a meeting. It's all remote. And being able to, to find out what works, find out um, what the, the strong um, uh, kind of the strengths and weaknesses, I guess, of a remote, remote workforce and finding out what works um, when you're trying to motivate people. Motivation for, for some of your employees are different when you're working remote and when you're working at home uh, as compared to when you're in an office somewhere. So finding out just motivations um, and, and learning how to adapt to all of those um, when working with a remote workforce. So I'd say certainly leadership has, has propelled me um, I, endlessly um, from doing work with them. I close every episode with what I call the set pieces. It's a half dozen questions that I grill everybody who uh, <laughs> indulges me here on Credentials Only. Uh, the first one, what are podcasts or newsletters that you follow to keep informed? Yes, I, so I've been trying to get into the stocks a little bit. Um, I'm not great at them. I'll say I'm, I'm pretty terrible at them actually, but I like Robin Hood snacks. Um, it makes it a pretty digestible, uh, I think average Joe, um, uh, kind of rundown of what's happening in the stock market. Uh, always been interested in business. So certainly listening to some of the business news and they do that uh, very well from my perspective. Um, and, and love listening to that. So that's, I think, just the, the personal shout out. Um, I also love, uh, sh again, shameless plug, March Madness 365 with Andy Katz. Um, some really in-depth basketball conversations. I've been a College Hoops fan my entire life. So listening to some of those in-depth conversations with, with Andy and uh, Coach K or, or Coach Calipari, just listening to some of those things um, and, and how their programs are handling different situations around the, the world. It's been incredibly insightful. And uh, I think those two are probably my favorite listens. Who are your most valuable follows, the social posts you don't want to be missing? 
uh, war, war Jess. Oh, let me get let me get this right before. Oh, Jess Smith. Jess Smith. Yeah. War, war the, Jess Eagle. War Jess Eagle. That's what it is. She's awesome. Love following Jess to see. She's got a, an incredible pulse of what's happening in sports and marketing and social as a whole. Um, and follow her to, to see who's doing things well. Um, and see what we're missing. Um, she does some really insightful um, blog posts too on just what's working in social. Um, she does some some leadership um, blogs as well as to how uh, you can adapt in, in leadership, which I'm very interested in. So um, love following her, um, but also love following some of the, the generic just beat reporters for the sports that I follow. Love following The Athletic. Shout out to The Athletic. I follow them very closely subscription since they uh they launched um so so love reading some of their stuff but yeah we're jess eagle for sure um number one favorite follow what are a couple books you'd recommend people to check out so i gotta say not a big book guy i'm a i'm an article guy i read uh, on average i probably read 10 to 15 different articles whether it's in business or sports or um leadership or um what have you a day but i'm not a huge book guy i've, I've never really had the attention span to sit down and read the two to 300, maybe 400 page book, but articles, man, I'll, I'll tell you, I am knee deep in articles every day. I, I probably spend an hour and a half or two hours reading um, articles. Kind of the other end of the spectrum then streaming on TV. What are you watching? So I have HBO Max, just got that with my uh, uh, internet service. And I gotta say, I watched Veep, V-E-E-P, and that was awesome. Um, and it yeah, was, was deep in that. That's eight seasons. So it took me a couple weeks to finish. Uh, that was great. Um, but then also watched Outer Banks on Netflix. Um, and Outer Banks was, was awesome as well. So I'd say those two recently were, were my favorites. My all-time favorite show though on Netflix is Blacklist, period, hands down. Um, great show. James Spader, incredible character in that, uh, that, that series. And uh, looking forward to the next uh, season coming out here soon. What's your favorite sports memory as a kid? Uh, okay, so I think my favorite sports memory as a kid, our whole family grew up Notre Dame family through and through. Um, watched Notre Dame uh, every Saturday on, on uh, TV, all sat around and watched it. Uh, followed their basketball team, um, probably just as close as we followed Xavier's basketball team, honestly. Um, and going up to Notre Dame games once every few years um, to, to catch a football game. That was probably my favorite memory. Being around campus, if you've never been to South Bend, it's an incredible campus. Um, just the atmosphere, the environment, um, being in that stadium is, is uh, just insane and, and loved uh, every opportunity that I got to go up there. My final question for everybody here on Credentials Only, do you keep your credentials? And if so, where is that collection? Yeah, absolutely. I, I keep all the credentials from events that I go to. Uh, keep them hanging up on a hook in my bedroom. A constant reminder every day for really how grateful I am to be going to all these events um, and, and covering sports. Um, it, it's it's one of those things that when I look back after getting out of sports, whenever that may be in, in um, you know, the, the next uh, uh, step in my career here, whenever I get out of sports, being able to look back and say, wow, I was, I was really grateful to have the opportunity to do some of these things and go to some of these events and uh, love keeping them, love looking through them, look through them every once in a while, whenever I need a, a little pick me up and uh, yeah, but certainly keep uh, every single one of them. Nick, really appreciate the time and all the insights you shared with me today. Thanks so much for coming on to credentials only with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Thanks to Nick for sharing so many great insights during this episode. There's a whole lot that goes into social media and the digital space. 
And I appreciate Nick for sharing that with us here on Credentials Only. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, you can find more information on what we discussed in the show notes on credentialsonly.com. And while you're there, drop us your email address. We can slide into your inbox when we have a new episode to share. And please do leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Mike Bichet edits Credentials Only, which is a Vulture Media production. 